time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. This is the radio program that your pastor may have warned you about. Beware. This program can cause extreme dissatisfaction with your church. Why? Well, because uh, your pastor may not be um, preaching the gospel. And you may not know what you're missing until you start listening to this program. All right, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Christ. Our job here at Fighting for the Faith is on a daily basis, dish up a daily dose of biblical discernment. We basically take a look at the claims that are being made out there in the name of Christianity and in the name of religion and ask the question, is this what the Bible says? Now, I've been called a lot of names, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of names, and uh, narrow-minded uh, you know, <laughs> people have accused me of having my own version of Christianity. I Trust me when I tell you, I have not invented my own version of Christianity. The version that I subscribe to, we call it confessional Lutheranism. If you want to know what I believe, you can look it up online at, uh, the, at uh, bookofconcord.org. You know, the doctrine of faith that I subscribe to, the statement of faith that I subscribe to is practically a book, and it needs to be because there's a lot of errors out there, a lot of errors. And so on a daily basis, what we do is we uh, take stuff and compare it to the Word of God. So today we've uh, we've got a little bit of listener email. We got a funny little segment that we're going to play. Uh, somebody sent me a link to this uh, YouTube video called The Porpoise Driven Life. Absolutely hilarious. And then we're going to spend some time today, uh, rather than reviewing a bad sermon or stuff like that, we'll, we'll do that tomorrow. Well, I got Lane Chapman in uh, the uh, studio tomorrow, and he's going to come in, and we're going to review the Kung Fu Panda sermon. Yeah, believe it. Well, this is relevant again. Why is this relevant again? Well, Kung Fu Panda came out over the summer, and Relevant Church preached a sermon on Kung Fu Panda over the summer. And so, you know, now that it's come out on DVD with the holidays being here, you know, and you know, you got to consider what kind of gifts you're going to give your children and you may be considering giving them Kung Fu Panda. And it's our, it's our job to make sure that, uh, that your kids get the most spiritual satisfaction possible out of Kung Fu Panda and that they can learn how the spiritual lessons of Kung Fu Panda can apply to their lives. And so that's why we'll be playing. Tomorrow we'll be reviewing the Kung Fu Panda sermon from Relevant Church. Aren't you excited about that, John? I, I am. Yeah. You, I, I, I can see it all over your face, man. I, I had Panda Express last night. <laughs> you know, I'm having Panda Express tonight. <laughs> you know, what's funny is, is that my parents actually uh, were good friends with Andrew Churn, uh, the owner of uh, Panda, Panda Express. Before the, he went with a fast food thing, and so you know they, he had a uh, he had a really nice restaurant up in Pasadena, right on the uh, border of Pasadena and Arcadia, called, called the Panda, and uh, and Andrew has done a fantastic job. I mean that that, that has always been top notch Chinese food, and now uh, you know he, he, years ago he started a fast food chain using Chinese food, and the guy is a bazillionaire, I'm sure by now. <laughs> so. <laughs> Anyway, but, you know, so, yeah, Kung Fu Panda, Panda Express, it all makes sense to me. <laughs> Skadoosh. 
All right, so we got a listener email today, and this is an interesting one from Stacy. She writes, "Dear Mr. Rosebro, now this is interesting. I as I've been get, I've been getting a lot of emails lately, and I haven't had a chance to really respond to to many of them. People have gotten very very creative, even more creative than usual. I've been called Rosen Rosen, and yes, somebody sent me a video uh, a clip from the movie Fletch." Where, yeah. Anyway, it's I can't even quote it on the air. It's 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 a little crazy. But Mr. Rosenberger, Mr. You know, Frozenberger. Somebody emailed me, call me Frozenberger. But Stacy here, she just calls me Mr. Roseboro, which I think is nice. She says, um, I recently got a comment on my blog from an atheist, and this is what it said: Christianity, the belief that a cosmic Jewish zombie can make you live forever if you symbolically eat his flesh and telepathically tell him that you have to you you that you submit to him as a master so he can remove an evil force from your soul that is present in humanity because of a rib woman because a rib woman was conceived by a talking snake to eat from a magical tree makes perfect sense so she you know this this obviously this atheist leaving this comment on her blog you know was just so gracious you know in his description of christianity so she says i'm really at a loss as how to respond to this as most of my conversations are with religious people who say that they believe in god this comment is still grieving me so much and thanks for any help that you can give me sincerely stacy stacy i've dealt with a lot of atheists that, that have come onto my blogs over the years and i've noticed that there's several different types of atheists and you kind of have to get a gear for what type there are there's a new there's this really new and angry type of atheists that kind of fall into the christopher hitchens uh they they follow these guys and they basically are emphatically angry and mad at at christianity that it even exists and they're really rude and they're not really interested in conversation with you they just want to come and, um, you know, like the like a schoolyard bully, just punch you in the nose and walk off, you know. So um, those are kind of fun. They call they call people who believe in God uh, theotards, you know, you you you, you know the, theo meaning God. So you're you know you're a person who believes in God, and apparently you're mentally deficient. I guess that's what the idea of the word is. Now here's the deal: is it's difficult to have a conversation with these people, okay? And um, it's in in you got to understand your job is to proclaim Christ and Him crucified. It's Christ's job to lead them to repentance and uh, the forgiveness of sins. That's what God does. So uh, in this, you, you, you can attack that I've taken with people who are this belligerent is I basically say, yeah, you know, I'm completely aware that the the gospel story is just sounds ridiculous. I mean it that in fact that's what the bible says is that uh, the the cross is foolishness to Greeks and a stumbling block to Jews. I mean I mean come on. I mean it really is ridiculous that uh, that we believe that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh and that he rose from the dead three days after he was crucified. I said, but that being the case, as ridiculous as it sound, sounds, have you ever spent any time looking at the evidence for that claim? Now, Stacy, before you do this, you might want to spend a little time looking at the evidence for that claim. Okay? Um a good book that is uh, uh, that I strongly recommend. Okay, even though I, I'm not all that thrilled about where he goes to church, uh, Lee Strobel 
has a book out there called The Case for Christ. And um, it's an easy-to-read book, and it's a good introduction to apologetics that gives you the lay of the land as far as how, you know, how do we know that Jesus is who he claims to be, that he was a historical person? Can we trust the eyewitness testimony that he rose from the dead? It even touches on um, on fulfilled prophecy. And Strobel's book, The Case for Christ, does a fantastic job. So what you would do, first, if you haven't read the book, read it. Okay, and by the way, folks, um, in today's busy society, I have found a fantastic way to read books. Okay, what is this? Ready? Yeah. Audio. Oh, yes. Okay, unabridged audio. Two websites I strongly recommend. Okay, one is audible.com. I, I've got a, I've, I've, for years I've had an account with these guys. I get two books a month. Okay, two audio books a month, and it's just been fantastic. Audible.com, A-U-D-I-B-L-E.com. There's a new one out there called ChristianAudio.com. And again, they offer unabridged books. And you can actually download, you can purchase and download Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ uh, at Audible.com. And um, it's unabridged. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's a good introduction to uh, to these arguments. Now, if you're going to do some real reading then, too, um, I would recommend uh, John Warwick Montgomery's book, History and Christianity. Is well worth the read. Uh, there's a section in J.P. Moreland's book, uh, "The Scaling the Secular City," that also has uh, the good, a good historical argument for uh, the defense of Christianity. Um, though, though, and evidence that, that demands a verdict. Now, evidence that demands a verdict is is a really thick book. Okay, it provides you with really good apologetics information, data, and evidence for um, for Christianity. Um, but I consider that not to be a good place to start just because some of the stuff that's in there is, you know, like it'll fly right over people's heads. And there's sections in there that um, if you're suffering from insomnia, you can open the book and start reading and you'll fall asleep. Okay. But it's a, it's a very important book. Um, and that one's by Josh McDowell, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. So, Stacy, first spend some time learning what um, <clears throat> what the evidence is for Christianity. Okay. By the way, we don't believe we don't. I don't believe because of a leap of faith. Um, I believe the evidence shows that Jesus is who He claimed to be, that the eye, which is God in human flesh. You ask me if you were to ask me, Chris, how do you know there's a God? Then why don't you try that? Chris, how do you know that there's a God? Great, you did your part really perfectly. Okay. Yeah. Well, the reason I know there was a God is because God once became a man, and He proved that He was God by raising Himself from the dead three days after He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. So you can say, uh, I can describe what God looks like. Yeah, you could. Um, you can say, you cannot, not, well, there's not a lot of, phys- is there any physical descriptions about Jesus? Just common. Yeah, I just said, he, he, there was nothing about him that would make us go, ooh, you know, that's Rosebro's paraphrase <laughs> passage. <laughs> but um, here's the deal. We know what he did. We know him by his deeds. And th- that's the thing. When if If you ask, so many times Christians, when you ask them the question, how do you know there's a God? They'll go, oh, because of my changed life or, well, Mormons have changed lives. Muslims have changed lives. You know, it, that's not how you know there's a God. Okay. In fact, the apostles, they argued, you know, using eyewitness testimony to the resurrection and fulfilled prophecy. Powerful things. So what happens is when you say, I know there's a God because God became a man and proved his claim to being DDA by raising himself from the dead, 
Now we're into the realm of a historical argument, of a historical event that you can verify based upon eyewitness testimony. Now, here's a fun thing about it, is, is that after looking at the evidence, the evidence is ridiculously compelling that, uh, that what, we're, what we read about Jesus in, in the New Testament is actually what happened, and that he really did die under Pontius Pilate, and that he really did raise from the dead three days after he was, uh, after he was crucified. That being the case... Um, what happens is, is that that just gives you the historical facts and the, and the facts are solid. You can stand on them, but you still don't have faith until you say Christ died for me. Okay. That's where faith comes in. It's, it's understanding what those events mean for you in relationship to God. Okay. So, uh, so Stacy, start there, spend a little work, spend a little time familiarizing yourself with the real evidence for Christianity, it's amazing. It's mind-boggling. If you, if folks, if you've never, if you've never really looked at the evidence for Christianity, <laughs> you are in for a treat. I mean, I'm telling you that we don't trust Jesus by some blind faith. Okay, you you might right now, but to believe me when I tell you, the historic Christian faith is not based upon blind evidence. Um, the, the evidence is solid. It's it's wonderful and it's there. Uh, and then what you would do when you get belligerent atheists who pop up at your blog from time to time you you basically tell them yeah i understand that this is you know this sounds crazy and your depiction you know as unflattering as it is you know um you you know you're you're just reacting to it the way anybody would normally react to it yeah right yeah jesus rose from the dead so what you basically do is don't 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 get too bent out of shape when they get snarky on you okay Instead, say, yep, I know it's ridiculous, but have you ever looked at the evidence? Have you ever looked at the evidence? And if you are really an educated person and a smart person, which you seem to be, then maybe, you know, then uh, it, it would never hurt you to actually objectively take a look at what the evidence is for these claims. Now, what I've done this with a couple of atheists, and they disappear. <laughs> they never come back. Because really, the only reason why they were there in the first place is because they like the anonymity of the of the internet and they want to come and just basically pull someone's hair and go you know but um if if they're if they're really angry and you know they might talk with you and and name call in a situation like that if they're just name calling and they're not listening then um just flush them you know (laughs) hit the flush button at your blog and 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 you know you're not required to talk to them but you but, but pray for them okay but if they're willing to dialogue with you then you know, be ready to present them with the evidence for Christ, which is there. Again, it's it has to do with the eyewitness testimony to who he is, what he did, who he claimed to be, and uh, and his claim to rising from the dead three days after he was crucified. And then along with that, you buttress that with the fulfilled prophecy. In fact, I should probably do that as you know, since we're coming up on Christmas. Um, this is a Sunday school lesson that I teach, you know, about once a year, and I call it um, what. It, uh, <laughs> What, prophecy by the numbers, something like that. I, I'm getting old. I can't remember what I called it last year. But the idea is, is that um, statistically, okay, when you look at fulfilled prophecy, there's a statistical way to look at it, which asks the question, what are the chances of any one person fulfilling just eight of the clear prophecies in the Scripture? And when you look at those clear prophecies that Jesus fulfilled prophecies he couldn't have like maneuvered his life to do you know then what happens is is that 
uh, you statistically ask, what are the possibilities of this happening, you know, of anybody being born, you know, and this happening, you, you, you come up with some ridiculously astronomical number that just with those eight prophecies, and there's like, I've heard anywhere from five to 600 clear prophecies in scripture regarding Jesus Christ that he fulfilled. You take just eight of the clearest ones and you've got some, you know, one in 900 bazillion to, to one chance. I mean, it, it's, it's ridiculous. You know, um, you know, nobody, had, nobody in Vegas would want to lay odds on that. Let's just put it that way. So, um, again, bone up on what, on, on the evidence for the Christian faith, pray for this guy. And, um, basically, you know, when these people come around, don't get too bent out of shape. Remember we Christians, Christ promises that the people will hate us and that they'll persecute us and, uh, and that we'll share in his suffering. So that being the case, when someone comes around, they're being snarky and belligerent and mean to you, just understand that, that by nature, that's what human beings are and that Christ died for that person's sins. And so you want to proclaim their, you, you want to, the purpose of apologetics, by the way, this is important. Purpose of apologetics is to move obstacles aside so that you can preach Christ and him crucified for your sins. Okay. Apologetics. If the end is not you, pro, you know, con, you know, basically co- condemning somebody of their sins, calling them to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you're not doing apologetics in a way that's going to be helpful for anybody. Okay. But if the goal is, you understand, the purpose of apologetics is like a bulldozer. Somebody puts up a defense and they, they put obstacles in the way of making it so that you can't talk to them. Uh, what you basically you do is you engage them in a dialogue and you use your bulldozer of apologetic evidence to move aside the roadblocks that they've put in place so that you can preach the repentance of sins and forgiveness in Christ. That's what you do. So, um, Stacy, I hope that answers your question and uh, welcome to the club. You know, we Christians get to be persecuted. So again, again, take it with a grain of salt and uh, thank the Lord that you've been found worthy to uh, suffer disgrace and shame, you know, by this belligerent atheist that's come along to your website. So, all right, um, something a little bit fun here. Um, Somebody emailed me a fun little video (laughs) and um, the the audio on this sounds like one of the guys from... uh, uh, from Way of the Master Radio, which is now Wretched Radio. You know, the, yeah, that's right. The Way of the Master Radio, they changed the name to Wretched Radio, and uh, which I think is a hilarious name, by the way. And, uh, you know, Todd and I email back and forth maybe once a year. Like <laughs> <laughs> Christmas. Gone. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're like going to be buddies in like 50 years. Yeah, at this rate, man. So, I mean, but he has not asked to be my friend on Facebook, so. But then I haven't – I don't – never mind. <laughs> anyway, so uh, this one's called The Porpoise Driven Life, and it's just h- absolutely hilarious. One of the things – good satire has so much truth in it that it's got a really biting and, and cutting humor. And uh, this, I think, just nails it on the nosy. So – or what, what's is, – do you call it the nose of a porpoise? I don't know. Yeah, I'm, my porpoise anatomy uh, knowledge is pretty thin. Anyway, we can we, – we go on here. Here's The Porpoise Driven Life. Is your WWJD bracelet giving you a rash? Tired of praying to Jabez? Are you anxiously waiting for the next Christian fad before everyone gets left behind? Yeah, I am. I am. Before every, the next Christian fad before everybody gets left behind? Uh, Good pun. Yeah, no, I thought that was hilarious. Waiting for it to cute. You know, it's downloading very slowly. You know what Roseboro should just 
Download these ahead of time. We continue. Then you're going to love the porpoise-driven life. The porpoise-driven life uses one of God's amazing mammals to help you get excited about asking Jesus into your heart again. And best of all, just like prosperity preaching, the porpoise-driven life uses all kinds of Bible translations to make you feel like it's truly biblical. Listen to this contorted whopper wrestled from Job 12.7. Ask the fish of the sea and they will declare to you. Yes, fish can... <laughs> It's, it's exactly what uh, Rick Warren does. He just wrestles scripture completely out of context. Uh, we continue. Teach you. It's no coincidence that early Christians used the sign of the fish. So if you love to see the Bible taught in ways that no man has ever taught before, then you'll love the porpoise-driven life. Jesus used fish to feed thousands, and this book can feed you too. Jesus called the disciples to be fishers of men. Again and again, fish show up as an important topic. And what better fish to teach us than a fellow mammal? This book will help you develop your own porpoise-driven strategy with wonderful insights like coming up for air. In the Christian life, we just can't go swimming around endlessly in school or out of school we need time to think about and praise god we must come up for air a porpoise that doesn't come up for air slowly suffocates and sinks to the bottom or meditation on the three-sided fin a porpoise's fin is triangular in shape unlike the more rounded fin of a dolphin thinking about this fin we can reflect on the trinity often the fin is above water to show us that we must be in the world but not a part of it how about swimming in groups? Like the porpoise, we should swim in groups and not try to make it on our own. If we swim by ourselves, we can get lost or eaten by predators. These and many more <laughs> principles can be found studying the life of the porpoise. One type of porpoise has no dorsal fin. But since this porpoise was born without original fin, we can use them as a parallel for Christ. What are the results? Churches that have adopted the porpoise-driven life have increased their congregations up to 70%. So don't delay. Order now from SplendorOfTruth.com. The porpoise-driven life. Yeah. Absolutely hilarious. Why? Because it, it handles God's word just the same way the purpose-driven life. I love the, the, the flipper sound effect. Was yeah, yeah that, that really helped. You know, you're dating yourself, though. <laughs> okay, SplendorOfTruth.com. Splendor of... I wonder if that's a real website. You know, I'm promoting a website I haven't been to. The Kurt Jester. <laughs> okay, it's a little uh, silly. Okay, that's a real... Uh, all right. Beware, not every link that I give you is uh, necessarily wholesome. <laughs> All right, so that's the purpose-driven life. Hey, before we go into our break, you know, one of the things that we talked about yesterday was uh, my review of uh, the uh, new emergent translation of the Bible called The Voice. And part two of my uh, my critique is actually available online. I apologize ahead of time. It's very heavy on the Greek. And um, let me share this one little insight with you, which is kind of fun. You know, um, they they completely mangle uh, Romans chapter three verses twenty one through twenty six, and um, let me read to you from the Voice uh, verses twenty one and twenty two, and I'll point something out to you which I thought was really fun. Um, it, actually, this is a, a great study that I was working on it uh, on this. Uh, the Voice says, which is the bad translation, it says, but now for the good news, God's restorative justice has entered the world independent of the law, and both the law and the prophets told us that this day would come. Really, really bad translation. Restorative justice, nothing in the text supports that. Anyways, it, verse 22 says, this redeeming justice comes through the faithfulness of Jesus. That's what the Voice says. That's absolutely not translated right. 
um, the the ESV translates it correctly. It's and it says the righteousness of God uh, is through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, so the voice says uh, redeeming justice comes through the faithfulness of Christ. A good translation says that God's righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And so uh, I spent a lot of time in the article, and you can view it and read it if you want at extremetheology.com. Go to extremetheology.com. The name of the article is uh, Review of the Voice New Testament Part 2. Um, if uh, let me, I'll quickly tell you what the issue here is, is that they've changed the Greek there and basically are arguing that it's rather than you know than us being justified by faith in Christ that somehow we're justified by Christ's faithfulness. Now it sounds right, but it actually doesn't even fit at all. And um, spent some time putting this together. Oh man, uh, put some uh, putting this together, and um, and really taking a look at all the other passages of Scripture. So here's the deal: when we use the term faith, you know, faith in Christ. All right. In the Greek, there, it's a it's it's a genitive. So you, you what happens? I know it's kind of a technical term there, but what happens is the genitive can be uh, translated many different ways. Many times, it's just translated with the word of. You know, it it implies possession of something. That's many times it's it's general use, but there's different types of genitives. And in this particular case, uh, the Greek is using what's called an objective genesis, uh, genitive, which means it's talking about faith in Christ, and therefore Christ is the object of our faith. Okay, it's a rare use of the genitive, but it fits with a, a whole bunch of other passages of Scripture, which tell us cl- clearly and plainly that Jesus Christ is the object of our faith. And I was amazed to find out just how many there were. Let me give you a sampling here. Um, John twelve eleven says this, Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Okay? Um, believing in Jesus. By the way, the, the, the Greek word for believing there, um, uh, pistuo, is the verb form of the Greek word for faith, which is pistis. Okay? And so here we have believing in Jesus. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. 1 John 5.10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe, God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. John 9.35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, this is talking about the blind man, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Uh, John 2.11, this is the first sign of, first of his signs Jesus did at Cana Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. John 4.39, many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the women's testimony. He told me all that I had ever done. John 6.28, and they said to him, what must we be doing to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. And there's probably about 25 more passages that I quote in this article 
that clearly show throughout the New Testament over and over and over and over and over again, Jesus Christ is the object of our faith and that we are saved, reckoned, declared righteous, as Romans says, by faith in Jesus. And this this voice translation completely mangles that, and I don't think they have a good scholarly reason for doing it. They're just not they're they're refusing to deal with the fact that this is an objective genitive. So I know all of you Greek scholars are just dying to read this article, but uh, <laughs> anyway, I, I say that to you just because it's such great news. You know, the gospel is such good news that uh, that by faith, by trust, as a free gift, God reckons us, literally declares us to be righteous when we're not. Okay? Why? Because Christ was righteous. Remember the righteous died for the unrighteous? Okay? Christ is, he lived a perfect life and his righteousness is given to us as a gift by faith. That's what this passage really is teaching. And it really is sad when uh, you see somebody mangle that text because when they're mangling it like that, they're really mangling it to their own destruction and to the destruction of the people who would read and follow what they're saying because that's not what the what God's word really says. Anyway, so if you want to read the article, it's at extremetheology.com. Would uh, love to have you take a look at it. And and those of you Greek geeks out there, uh, you know, you want to, challenge me on the subjective objective genesis thing send me an email i'll be sure to ignore it no i'm kidding (laughs) i know that's bad all right we're up up to our first break um if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard so far or even stuff you've heard in previous episodes or stuff that's coming up you know you just know what is (laughs) what i'm going to say uh talk back at fightingforthefaith.com talk back at fightingforthefaith.com and we will be right back Reaching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. Hello and welcome to Sinners Seeking Truth Institute. It has come to our attention here at the lab that there are many preachers and teachers in this world that speak in tongues. This may not come as a surprise to many of you at all. However, we here at the lab have devised a way to interpret these teachers who speak in tongues. Many of these people that we are talking about include Paula White, Coney Thomas, Kenneth Copeland, Todd Bentley, Kenneth Hagen, Benny Hinn, Patricia King, and many more. Our apparatus used to interpret these tongues is very complicated. It consists of playing their voices backwards, running the sound waves through an underwater speaker submerged in a fresh batch of East India Trading Company tea, while stirring the liquid with a cinnamon stick drenched in Kopi Luwak coffee, and running 666 volts through it simultaneously. 
Needless to say, there was much trial and error in devising this particular translating device. Upon successfully translating the phrases and sayings of the preachers who speak in tongues, we were horrified at our results. We have done the necessary science and are completely positive that our interpretations are 100% accurate. Here are some examples of the results we've come up with. Normally, this is what you, the audience, hears before translation. This is what we've heard after putting it through the translator. Computer translation sequence initiated. Translation complete. According to my calculations, the speaker said, It is so easy to deceive you simple-minded silly people. Don't you realize that this entire thing is a money scam? Here is another person speaking in tongues. Keep praying, people. Malva Niente mente nel metro calva mu. Ti alba canti niente nel fitri palba cura me. Canta pierbe birbe nel metro palba cu. Simia let me hear. This is what our translator picked up. Computer translation sequence initiated. Translation complete. According to my calculations, the speaker said, I'm so rich, I'm so great, I have power, and you have none. You listened like dogs to this garbage I preach. I lead you away from saving grace and give not a care to your terrible plight. Here is our final example. Here is the translation. Computer translation sequence initiated. Translation complete. According to my calculations, the speaker said, Give me your seed offerings. I enjoy being rich. I live in a huge house, and you all live in squalor. I laugh at your stupidity. I can't believe you people actually believe this spiritual garbage. We here at the Sinners Seeking Truth Institute hope that you use some discernment next time you hear anybody speaking in tongues. The best way to know whether or not it's from God or the devil is to listen to what the pastor or teacher is emphasizing on in their lessons. Are they teaching about themselves, wealth, your best life now, your purpose, or Jesus Christ? If it's anything but Jesus, then we believe you have a major problem on your hands. At that point, run. This has been a public service announcement. Hi, I'm Patrick Kyle, a founding partner of New Reformation Press. Just as the First Reformation rediscovered, reclaimed, and restated timeless truths from the Word of God, the mission of New Reformation Press is to reintroduce these truths to the contemporary church and culture. All of our resources are hand-picked to ensure that you have the best available biblical and doctrinal materials at your fingertips to help you grasp the treasures of the Reformation and deepen your own understanding of Christ and His work on your behalf. Browse our website at newreformationpress.com. We offer books, CDs, downloadable MP3s, and our very own line of Reformation-themed clothing. Check out the audio presentation, Bible in an Hour. Absolutely the finest overview of the scriptures that the staff at New Reformation Press has ever heard. Also, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt's presentation, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. 
a stunning 200-proof presentation of the gospel for those who have been hurt by the church and discouraged as a result of false teaching. Available exclusively through NewReformationPress.com. Again, that's NewReformationPress.com. We're back, and you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Is that really dramatic part? Pump up. It's always fun to have buffer music that's way cooler than you. <laughs> hey, just a reminder: Pirate Christian Radio and Fighting for the Faith need your support. Um, if you are benefiting from this radio ministry then uh, we would like you to please consider supporting us financially and partnering with us. You can do so by sending in your gift to Pirate Christian Radio, Post Office Box 791, SJC, California, 92693. That's Pirate Christian Radio, Post Office Box 791, SJC, California, 92693. Okay, next segment. You ready? Yeah. All right. All right, so here's the deal. Talking about Islam. And we'll talk about uh, Islam in in relation to what uh, I've been hearing lately. Uh, I've been reading through Brian McLaren's book, the his latest one called Finding Our Way Again, The Return of the Ancient Practices. Okay, got got got, you know, got it right here. And uh in his book, he uh he makes some claims about Islam. He makes some claims about Judaism and Islam. He's talking about um, uh, these three religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, having a lot in common with each other. And uh, the things he's saying I find to be very um, <clears throat> alarming. Let me explain. Brian McLaren, page 22 of Finding Our Way Again, says this, quote, <clears throat> Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, Judaism have more in common than many people realize because they all share a primal narrative and they all flow from a common sacred fountainhead. A single figure at once famous and mysterious, a Middle Eastern man named Abraham of Ur. Okay, so Brian McLaren, you know, the elder statesman of the emergent church movement, is claiming that Christianity... And Judaism and Islam share a primal narrative and that they have a lot in common and they flow from a common sacred fountainhead. Those are his words, not mine. Um, McLaren continues. He says, we can date Abraham's birth to about 2000 BC in modern day Iraq near present day Nasarif. Like Moses, Jesus, and Muhammad, and like us, Abraham was raised in a pluralistic polytheistic world During his lifetime, he lived side by side with others who honored many different gods and practiced many different religions. And during his lifetime, Abraham, like Moses, Jesus, and Mohammed, had an encounter with God that distinguished him from his contemporaries and propelled him into a mission introducing a new way of life that changed the world. Y'all find anything wrong with that sentence? Jesus part. Well, let's see. It says that that uh, G, Abraham, like Moses, Jesus, and Muhammad. Muhammad apparently, according to Brian McLaren, had an encounter with God. 
right? We have so we have a bunch of we have a lot in common with Islam. How did Jesus have an encounter with himself? Well, um, um, reflexology. <laughs> I, I <laughs> he uh, looked in the mirror. I don't know. <laughs> you you asked me. Well, see, that's the thing. Is that first of all, Islam denies that Jesus Christ is God. All right. Now, folks, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. There are only two religions in the whole world. There are only two. Okay. And Brian McLaren is becoming a proponent of uh, of the wrong one. Okay. There's one religion that takes many different forms. Many, 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 many different forms. And this one religion basically teaches that you have to go through particular steps, jump through particular hoops, live a particular way, live by a set of rules, live a particular lifestyle, and if you successfully pull that off, then God owes you salvation. Okay? It's basically works righteousness. Okay? It comes down to, you know, God has called you to be a good person, and if you're a good person, then God's going to let you in. Okay? Now, Islam, by the way, little little uh, idea here, is that um, one of the primary uh, schools of Islam, there's uh, Sunni Islam and Shia Islam as well. Sunni Islam teaches that there are five basic pillars to Islam. And, you know, so what happens is, is that Islam is like a path. It's a way of life. And the five pillars to becoming a practicing Muslim, the five pillars are, I'm going to completely mess this up because I, I don't speak this language, but the first is called the Shahada. And basically the Shahada is a profession, profession of one's faith in Allah and, and Muhammad. And the Shahada basically go there, says there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet or his messenger. Okay, so the first part of becoming a practicing Muslim, the five pillars of Islam, the five hoops you got to jump through, if you would. Um, first hoop is is a profession of faith in Allah and um, and that Muhammad is his prophet. Michael Jackson, woohoo! That guy, um, uh, he just became a Muslim. I did not know that. This is true. Yeah, and uh, apparently Cat Williams was at his. Uh, uh, long story, but uh, you know, at his uh, Muslim. Inception party. I, I don't know what they call it. Okay, so the first pillar of Islam is this profession of faith. The second is called the Salat. Not Salad, but Salat. And it, the second pillar of Islam is a requirement to, to pray five times a day at fixed times during the day towards Mecca. Okay? So you want to be a practicing Muslim. You confess. You may have your profession of faith. You pray five times a day towards Mecca. Then you got the zakat, which is almsgiving. Almsgiving is part of, of, of Islam. It's the practice of charitable giving by Muslims based upon accumulated wealth, and it's obligatory. So, uh, you know, in Islam, giving alms to the poor is an obligation. Okay, you care for the poor, period. You have to do it. So we got three, the three pillars so far are the profession of faith, the uh, uh, praying five times a day at fixed times towards Mecca, and then you've got the almsgiving. The second is called the psalm during Ramadan. This, uh, this basically, this is fasting. It's a ritual fasting that occurs. Um, it's part. It's re- considered part of uh, uh, repentance, and it's an aesthetic fasting that happens during the holy month of Ramadan. And you basically don't eat from sun up to sundown. You, you know, the, during the whole day, you're 
praying that your blood sugars don't grow crazy on you. But that's so that's part of what you do. And then the the last is called the Hajj, and it's a pilgrimage that occurs during uh, the month of Ramadan. And once in your lifetime, you need to make your pilgrimage to Mecca, and uh, and you go on your Hajj. Okay, so. The program for Islam is pretty basic. It's pretty simple. You 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 want to have a shot at getting into heaven, then you follow the five pillars of Islam. Okay. Now I've heard some scholars argue that one of the reasons why they're suicide bombers and terrorists is because um, there's no assurance of salvation when you follow these five pillars, and uh, whereas martyrdom um, in a jihad does guarantee that you're in. Okay. So, so I've heard some Muslim scholars argue that the, the, the Quran's guarantee of, of, uh, if you die, you know, for the faith in a jihad that you're automatically in, you know, that that's one of the things that motivates these people, you know, plus 70 virgins seems to be, um, a big, a big motivator too. Although that kind of turns Islam into a sex religion in a way. What happens if those 70 virgins all look like Steve Carell? Oh man, um, shave them and pray something. You know, put a bag on their head or something. I don't know. <laughs> ah! <laughs> he hurt my head. Okay, so here's the deal: Islam, there is no grace in Islam. It's all works. Okay, it's all works. So the here's the deal, though. Brian McLaren claims that Muhammad had an encounter with God. Should we believe that? Let me ask it a different way, okay? And one of the reasons I bring this up is because McLaren's not alone. There's a there's a group out there um, called it's it's called a Common Word Between Us, um, and it, there's a there's a movement where Christian scholars have basically try they're trying to find common ground with Islam, okay? And from their website, it's called a Common Word. This is what the Muslims write to us, um, to us Christians. Finally, as Muslims and in obedience to the Holy Quran, we ask Christians to come together with us on the common essentials of our two religions, that we shall worship none but God and that we shall ascribe no partner unto him. Well, wait a second. We believe in the Trinity. Um, and that none of us shall take uh, others for lords besides God. Okay, that's from the Quran. And then let us let this common ground be the basis of all future interfaith dialogue between us, for our common ground is that on which hangs all of the law and the prophets. God, uh, God says in the Holy Quran, Say, O Muslims, we believe in God and that which is revealed unto us, and that which was revealed unto Abraham and Ishmael and Isaac and Jacob and the tribes, and that which Moses and Jesus received, and that which the prophets received from the Lord. We make no distinction between any of them, and unto him we have surrendered. If they believe in the like of that which ye believe, then they are rightly guided. But if they turn away, then they are in schism, and God will suffice thee against them. He is the hearer and the knower. That's from the Quran. So do we do we Christians have common ground with uh, Islam? I mean, what would our common ground be? Some have said, oh, well, we have common ground with Islam because their religion says to love God and love neighbor too. And that's supposed to be common ground. That Islam tells you to love God and to love your neighbor. Right? That's the law. That's not common ground. That's, condom, that's common ground that condemns us both. But see, 
rather than seeing it as condemnation, Islam's solution is to follow the prescribed pillars of Islam and and hope and pray that you're good enough to get in. You know, if you die before your Hajj or you don't give enough alms, not sure if you're going to make it. Because there's no mercy, there's no real grace. It's not based upon mercy and grace, it's based upon the law. So here's the deal. Um, McLaren claims that God, that Muhammad had an encounter with God and that we have a lot in common with Islam. And they're, they're pointing back to Abraham as some kind of a common ground that we have. But this is a theme that's covered in Scripture pretty well, actually. And the question that comes in is, do we really have common ground with these folks when it comes to Abraham? Now, Islam teaches that the promise didn't really come through Isaac, that the promise came through J- uh, through Ishmael. Okay, They claim you know, a common ancestry through Ishmael. So they're, they're sons of Abraham through uh, Ishmael, not through, uh, through Isaac. So the, the, the question, though, if you've really, you know, regardless of that, you can answer this question by looking at how Jesus regarded people who were genetically Jewish. Okay, those who were genetically descendant from Abraham. Did that somehow create some kind of a kumbaya common ground that Jesus uh, say, oh, well, you know, we have a lot in common here or not? Let me read from Romans chapter nine. Paul writes, he says, I am speaking the truth in Christ and I am not lying and my conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Okay, so Paul here in Romans 9 is talking about his kinsmen, fellow Jews according to the flesh. You can say genetically, okay, that, uh, you know, that he he wished, you know, he, he he's really in anguish over them. He says, but it's not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel uh, belong to Israel. You can say it's not all who are descended from Abraham are of Abraham. And not all who are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. Uh, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. That's what uh, verse 7 says. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, those who are genetically Jewish, but the children of the promise those are the ones that are counted as offspring. Children of the promise, that's talking about people who are of the same faith as Abraham. Okay, we continue. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son, and not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children, one by, by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the, that the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. But what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Well, by no means. 
For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whom he wills and he hardens whom he wills. So from this passage, the question that comes up is, um, you know, does somebody who has some kind of a genetic connection to Abraham, either through Isaac or Ishmael, is that what matters to God? No. No, it isn't. Okay. So when Brian McLaren says that we share a common narrative in Abraham, that's not exactly true. Because the narrative of Abraham really is about the Abraham, the man of faith, not some genetic relation to Abraham. Does that make sense? And the details really do matter because current day Jews reject Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Yet, Jesus Christ is the promised offspring, the promised seed by which the whole world would be blessed. Okay? And it comes by faith, not by works. Anyway, um, so let's, uh, let's, uh, let's continue on here. Let's take a look at what Jesus has to say. John chapter 8, starting in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now this is so he's talking to his fellow Jews. Now they answered him, Well, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Well, Jesus answered them, Well, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. It's the son that remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, well, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. That is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. Well, they said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. So here Jesus is speaking to people who are genetically Jewish who can rightly lay a claim to being the children of Abraham, right? Genetically. And he's saying, yeah, it doesn't matter if you share a common narrative there. Um, you got to trust me. Okay. And, yeah, and then he says that their father is the devil. 
I do think that this was the days before therapists, and apparently he didn't really give a hoot about their self-esteem. Can you imagine what a trip that is? You know, <laughs> he said, my my father is the devil. <laughs> How am I supposed to get rid of that? <clears throat> Sorry. All right, so we continue. So which of you convicts me of sin? This is John eight forty six. I tell you the truth. If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God, and the reason you do not hear me is that you are not of God. So, all right, so here's the deal. So a Muslim rejects Jesus Christ. First of all, they reject him as God. They reject him as Savior. They reject his crucifixion on the cross. They reject that he died for the sins of the world. Um... Jesus says, whoever is of God hears the words of God, and the reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And he's saying that his his words are the words of God. So the reason why these people, why Muslims do not hear Christ is because they're not of God. Muhammad did not have an encounter with the one true God. It was probably his psyche. It could have been a deceiving spirit or the devil, but it wasn't Jesus Christ. Because he rejects Christ. He rejects salvation by grace. And the whole Muslim religion does. doesn't matter if we have Abraham in common. The question is, do we have Christ in common? That's the thing that's important. Continuing in John 8.48, the Jews answered him, we are, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus said, I do not have a demon. But I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet, I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets, and you say, if anyone keeps my words, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered them, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. Fun little story, right? We continue. But if you, if, but you have not known him, I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So question for you guys. Um, do we really have common ground with uh, Muslims and Jews just because we have Abraham in common with them? No. No, it doesn't look like that at all. Here, Jesus, a Jew, speaking to the direct descendants of Abraham through Isaac, is basically saying that they're of the devil. And that because they don't hear his word, there's no common ground there to work with. The question is not whether we have common ground with Abraham. The question is, do we have common ground with Jesus Christ? Okay, one of the things, you know, if you perform a magic trick, they use sleight of hand and misdirection in order to perform the trick. They get you to look one way while they're doing something, you know, know, in a different field of vision. This is the same thing. If you think that we have common ground with Islam because we share uh, some kind of heritage with Abraham, that's satanic misdirection. 
Okay, you're looking at the wrong thing. It's Jesus Christ that matters. And they reject him, and they've set up a religion of works. Anyway, we're going to go into our second break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about this because, you know, folks, our job to Muslims is to share the gospel, not hold their hands and sing kumbaya, as if that's what they really want to do anyway. Um, So anyway, if you would like to email me regarding anything that you've heard so far, or if you know what I'm going to say, Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. We will be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus flock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, available exclusively at NewReformationPress.com, or the big-picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com. Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible. Okay, we're back. doing a little uh, analysis here from the Bible. Challenging those who would say, oh, we've got all kinds of things in common with uh, Islam and Judaism. Uh, No, we don't. We really, truly don't. 
You know, uh, Rick Warren's going to be speaking to uh, a Muslim conference in Long Beach, on, I think on December 20th. Did you know that? Yeah, what's really funny is is I was uh, reading the news different different news sites, and apparently he's uh, he's upset a bunch of Muslims because on the Hannity and Combs show, the second I told you the second half of that interview when he was on Hannity and Combs, where he told Alan Combs to just try Jesus, give Jesus a sixty day trial. After the break on that show, um, Alan Combs is talking. Uh, Alan Combs, uh, Sean Hannity is talking about evil in the world, and was uh, and listed Ahmadinejad, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, the. Uh, the, the guy who's in charge of Iran uh, listed him as an evil person and uh, and basically asked the question, you know, can we take this guy out? And and Rick Warren just kind of glibly says, well, yes. And so there's a bunch of Muslims who are upset that uh, Rick Warren would say that, uh, you know, that he agrees in uh, killing Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. And so they're, they're questioning whether or not uh, it's even appropriate for him anymore to be speaking to a group of Muslims. Oh, that was kind of interesting. <laughs> Poor guy can't do anything right. Anyway, um, so we're, we're asking the question, um, do we really have common ground with Islam? Do we really have common ground with him because our common ground is in Abraham? The answer really is uh, no. In fact, uh, let me read to you some more scripture on this because God's word could not be clearer. You know, it's it's ridiculously clear. Galatians chapter three, verse one starts off with this uh, self-esteem building um, sentence. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The answer is hearing with faith. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The answer is hearing with faith. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Galatians chapter 3 verse 7. Listen to this one. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Who are the sons of Abraham, John? The ones who have faith. Yeah. Know then it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham who is the man of faith. So here's the deal. You can't even really look at Abraham as as the common ground because um, Paul here in Galatians is basically pointing to Abraham and, and, and pointing really through him, pointing to the one whom Abraham had faith in, which is Christ. Okay? So if you want to have common ground with Abraham, then you need to have the same faith that Abraham had. Abraham was the man of faith. Moving on down the passage here, um, listen to this, Galatians chapter 4, um, let me find the passage, tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law, for it is written, Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman, the son 
But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. Now, this may be interpreted uh, allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai to bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. And, uh, folks, Islam makes no bones about the fact that they consider themselves heirs of Abraham through Ishmael. She's the, the Ishmael being the son of the slave woman. And this is all law. Islam is all law. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at the time at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. So how is it that we would not be children? Notice he's talking, this is an interesting thing. He's not talking about Islam. He's talking about Judaism. He's talking about the Judaizers. And he's basically saying that the Judaizers who are trying to be saved by the law, they are literally children of the slave woman, not of the promise, of the free woman. It's the same with us. We don't have any common ground with Islam because we don't share a common ground regarding Christ. I mean, I'll be blunt. There's a lot of Christian congregations we don't share common ground with because they don't understand that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. They reject the scriptures. They reject uh, salvation by grace. They reject the substitutionary atonement. You know, they're Christian in name only. And they're back to the law. Which, you know, uh, which is interesting because, let me pull out McLaren's book here. This is interesting. Let me read the, read this again here. And during his lifetime, this is Brian McLaren, page 22. And during his lifetime, Abraham, like Moses, Jesus, and Muhammad, had an encounter with God, no, he didn't, that distinguished him from his contemporaries and propelled him into a mission, introducing a new way of life that changed the world. When you read the story of Abraham, do you think that that story is about Abraham being introducing a new way of life? I mean, let's kind of walk through some of the highlights of Abraham's life. God calls him, tells him to leave home and move somewhere else. Is that unique to Abraham? No, no it's not. No. Okay, so it's uh, nothing unique about picking up and moving somewhere. I mean, there's been nomads all over the place. So not exactly a profound different way of life there. And by the way, Abraham lied twice about his wife. Um, in two separate occasions, you know, Abraham went someplace. Egypt was one, and I think it was with the Amalekites the second. Um, I may be wrong on that second one. I'd have to check my references. But in, in both cases, uh, Abraham you know, and Sarai went somewhere, and uh, Abraham told his wife to lie and say, uh, she's my sister, right? Because he didn't want to be killed. He did that on two occasions. So is that uh, is that propensity towards lying about his wife? Is that is that the new life that Abraham introduced into the world? No, no. I mean, people do that all the time. 
Um, let's see. How about circumcision? Was I mean, that's kind of unique and different, but um, that's not exactly something that you showed the whole world about. So he, you know, no, that's not exactly it either. Um, how about sacrificing his son Isaac on an altar? Was was that Abraham's way of life? How about marrying his, uh, you know, taking his uh, servant, his wife's servant uh, girl as a, uh, for, you know, his wife? No. He was wealthy. Is that different? No. Um, We find out later after Sarah dies that uh, Abraham has some concubines. Um, Is that unique and different? No. (sighs) Folks, um, Abraham didn't introduce a new way of life that changed the world. Abraham's way of life showed that he was just as much a sinner as you and I were, are. Abraham's contribution to the world was his faith, his trust in the one true God for his salvation. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's the unique thing that Abraham has to offer the world, his faith. Not his way of life, it's his faith. McLaren has got this 180 degrees backwards and wrong, upside down, black is white, white is black, evil is good, good is evil, cats and dogs living together, it's just terrible. (laughs) I love that line from... uh, Ghostbusters. Anyway, um, so Abraham, folks, no, Abraham did not offer us a new way of life that changed the world. This is, and you know, who parrots the same kind of stuff? Is that Rob Rob Bell? Remember, we didn't. We he was talking this way in that sermon that we reviewed from him. You know, somehow the the Abraham agenda. You know, we talked about that. It's ridiculous, folks. The thing that made Abraham unique was his faith. Christ calls us to the same faith as abraham right let's see here Uh, hebrews chapter 11 now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things that are not seen for by it the people of old received their commendation by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of god so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible by faith abel offered to god a more acceptable sacrifice than cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was found. He was not found because God had taken him up. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Hebrews 11.8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as as in a foreign land and living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has its foundations, whose designer and builder is God. 
By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared... Uh, for them a city by faith abraham when he was tested offered up isaac and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said through isaac shall your offspring be named he considered that god was able even to raise him from the dead from which figuratively speaking he did receive him back by faith isaac invoked future blessings on jacob and esau By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. You catch the the, the drift here? It wasn't that Abraham gave us a new way of life. Abraham is blessed because of his faith, his trust in God. So if we were to claim that we have common ground with Islam, we'd be lying Why would we be lying? Because they don't share the same faith as the faith that Abraham had. They don't believe that that God forgives sins for the sake of Christ. They don't believe that Christ died for our sins. They don't believe that we are saved purely by God's grace and mercy on account of Christ. They believe that they're saved by their keeping of the five pillars or eight pillars, if you're uh, uh, Sunni, uh, of Islam. They don't share the same faith as Abraham. We have nothing in common with them. And if you claim we have in common with them, love God and love your neighbor, all that is is the law, and all it does is condemn all of us. It's the solution. It's Christ. If we are to say we have common ground with any other religion, that common ground can only be based upon faith in Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. Cut and dry. Black and white. I mean, God's word could not be clearer. So for Brian McLaren to say that God spoke to Muhammad or that God had an, uh, Muhammad had an encounter with the one true God makes me question his sanity, makes me question his Christianity and how he reads scripture because he's got it all wrong. And he furthermore, he got it wrong in the sense that he's claiming that Abraham gave us a way of life. No, he didn't. Abraham gave us his faith. And that's what the scripture says. So there. <laughs> All right. Well, that's uh, that's our show today. That's see, that's the thing. I'm, I'm, John's looking at me. What? What? Yeah, I know. I let's well, see. It's too late to like get, dive into a you know a really juicy you know sermon review. We wouldn't be able to do it justice. You know, what? What? That's the nice thing about the show. We go until I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm done. I'm I'm done. So, <laughs> but I think I made the point. So the question is, when is Chris finished? The answer is yes. Yes, when he's done. It's when he's finished. It's when he's finished. That's right. That's how it works. (laughs) Sometimes I go two, sometimes I go less, and that's, you know, that's just the way it is. I I love this gig, you know. (laughs) 
<laughs> hey, folks, if you would like to support Fighting for the Faith, we could really use your help. You could do so by sending in your gift to Pirate Christian Radio at 791, uh, Post Office Box 791, SJC, California, 92693. Until uh, next time, uh, God bless you, and uh, looking forward to tomorrow. We're going to review uh, Kung Fu Panda, the sermon. The sermon. Yeah. All right. (laughs) All right. Next time. God bless you. Bye.